This is Anna from the future, that is to say January 16th, here to uh, tell you that we recorded this episode a few months ago, and some things have changed, and a lot of things are the same. But we wanted to let you know about a couple of things that are good in this trying time. Um, We are going to be interviewing some cool authors on behalf of Macmillan Library at 4 p.m. on Thursday, January 21st, 4 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be interviewing uh, Lily Menon, River Solomon, TJ Clune, and Sarah Gailey as part of the ALA Midwinter pregame event. You can register. You don't need to be anyone in particular to register to hear this session. We're going to put the link on the show page. But if you go to MacmillanLibrary.com and go to conferences, you can also get there. The other thing is that we now have merch. One of the benefits of the pandemic has been an artistic flowering in this household. So we have a different podcast logo that you can get on various merches. And we also have a couple of other collections of cute vegetables and fruit that you could get in various iterations. So that's redbubble.com slash people slash bellwether friends spelled like our Twitter handle B-E-L-L-W-E-T-H-E-R-F-R-N-D-S and it's good to talk to you again. Welcome to Bellwether Friends. Definitely not the first podcast featuring a discussion of pop culture and why we think you should like what we like. You should trust us because we're librarians. I'm Anna and my pronouns are she and her. I'm Aline and my pronouns are she and her. Every couple of spans of time, (laughs) we will get together and chat about a pop culture topic or two, what we think and how we feel. We'll end the show with our current obsessions. This is episode number 114, colon, fighting horror with horror. Horror. It's really hard not to mispronounce horror. Horror. Without sounding like you're from somewhere else. Horror. Horror. Anyhow, <laughs> just by coincidence, it is also October Month of horror. But really. They're all months of horror now. They really are. This is our first episode since the pandemic struck. Remember the before times? We don't. Nope. Not even a little bit. Aline. Anna. I'm going to throw it to you. Okay. Why do you think when there is a deadly virus, uh, people getting murdered in the streets... Because of the color of their skin, mostly. The government is corrupt and there's an election looming. Do you think it was a good idea to watch horror shows and movies? Well, I'm glad you asked, Anna. <laughs> 
I did not really get fully... Uh, that's a lie. <laughs> so... The pandemic started in March, and I'm always watching some kind of horror because there were lots of things in my watch list, stuff we've talked about on the show, stuff we have discussed in general. I am a great fan of serial killers and crime procedurals, and somewhere in the winter, in the spring, in the early stages, I lost my taste for cops as heroes. Yeah, I know that's hard to believe. And I wasn't enjoying Liv and Elliot as much as I like to enjoy Liv and Elliot. So I started casting about for something to watch that would be episodic, that would satisfy my bloodlust, and also not bother me as much as real life was bothering me. And I wrote down the things that I had been watching in this category over the several months of the pandemic, and I didn't really kick it off until late April. Late April was when I flipped the switch from watching some crime and some horror and some mystery to almost all horror all the time. I didn't answer your question, though. Yeah, so why did you flip the switch? Because we could have flipped the switch to, like, any any of a number of other shows that we have waiting in the wings, like... Right? We didn't do a bracket this year because pandemic. Right. For me, I realized relatively early when, you know, we closed down for two weeks and then it was like, well, we're going to be closed another week and there was a little bit of that sort of like dribs and drabs at the beginning where, oh, we're going to totally reopen. And that started not happening, and I was not in control of my environment, and I was freaking out about everything. And I, the, the short answer is I was looking for something that might scare me more than reality was scaring me. But you haven't found it yet. I have not found it yet. We are going to talk about a lot of different things we've watched. I always welcome suggestions. I believe that I need to watch Hereditary. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things we can watch, maybe we can talk about things on a scale of least scary to most scary. I was just thinking about if anyone is listening to this and they want to to try fighting horror with horror, but maybe they're not as hardcore as you. So maybe we could put things that we talk about on a scale of, like a heat scale for romance. So I think that you would be a good person to develop that scale. (laughs) Like what is the absolute worst one you have suffered and what is like your favorite. So maybe you are like Shaun of the Dead to The Exorcist. Or, I haven't seen The Exorcist. Right, but that's... On purpose. <laughs> right, and that's why I need to know what you... So, so in this... Let me look at your... Let me look at your... Okay. I, I mean, putting aside my particular uh, issues. content issues, yeah. which would be vomiting and visible entrails and spurting blood for the most, like realistic spurting blood. Yeah, well, and I love 
spurting blood and entrails. Right. So on the Anna end would be something like iZombie, which is a police procedural, (laughs) (laughs) but featuring a zombie. But the brains in this are not at all realistic. They are very clearly made of gummy candy. The violence is mostly (laughs) off screen. And the stuff that I've had the, the hardest time with that I've actually sat through has been the some of the American Horror Story episodes are, like, so not okay with me. So if anyone was like, I don't really like horror. Should I start watching American Horror Story? I would say, no, do not. No, yeah, I would go with... Finding something that you do like. So, so say there is horror that feels like a crime procedural and just happens to have a boogeyman. Right. Or something like iZombie where it's a crime procedural and she is a medical examiner who has happens to be a zombie. And when she eats the brains of the people they're medical examining, she gets flashes of what of their life before they died. It is really hard to get away from crime procedurals when you're looking at horror because or at least on the end that I like because I like the crimey solving stuff better than the like scary eviscerating stuff. And yep. so what would happen was Aline would start watching something and then I would get sucked into it most of the time. <laughs> it's still happening. It's fine. And I have no problem getting sucked into it. But there's some stuff that I don't want to watch in the first place. Like Midsommar. Where would you put that on the scale? So Midsommar was more creepy than it was horror. Like, it was horror. And it was creepy. But I think that only a couple of people got disemboweled. <laughs> I wish you could see Anna. <laughs> so I thought that Midsommar was very pretty and sunshiny, and so the evil was charming. It had a very Wicker Man kind of vibe, which the old Wicker Man, I'm talking with Britt Eklund back in the day, it had this whole like isolated community with weird practices. So basically Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, except with... Murder and pregnancy and flowers and maypoles. And vomiting. Was there vomiting? Uh, According to the spoiler special, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So at the beginning of this, we should always tell you when we're talking about horror and when we're talking about gore, you can always consult doesthedogdie.com and they try to minimize spoilage. But they do tell you if the dog dies, if there's vomiting, if there's disemboweling, there's all kinds of things. It's not just. If someone's eyes get poked out. Oh, yeah. They cover all of the specificities of body horror. Like, I can't handle watching someone put in or remove contact lenses, but I'm perfectly happy to watch someone get a knife in the eye socket. Mm, No, thank you, though. But, right, that, right. There, I mean, everyone's got their own sensitivities. So let's look at April. What were your highlights and lowlights for April? Okay. I have to go back to March and think it's really hilarious that we watched The World's End with Little G, (laughs) which is the third movie in the Cornetto trilogy in which the world does end. 
and we watched this probably the first week of shutdown, and how cute was that? In April, I had moved forward, and we were watching silent movies as part of the Far Out Film Club that I will link in the show notes, because it would be great if y'all joined us sometime. It's a library program here, but everything's on Zoom now, so you don't have to be living in Western Mass to join us. That was when I watched Midsommar by myself, and we were still watching some crime, so we watched season one of Bosch, and we watched Criminal Minds Suspect Behavior, the Criminal Minds spinoff with Forrest Whitaker, and we started watching The Blacklist and Body of Proof, another medical examiner sort of crime procedural, which is less copy and more sciencey doctory yeah and stars dana delaney so but right around there i went off of cops and i started watching nosferatu the joe hill series on netflix which was real good joe hill is stephen king's son And it's hard not to compare horror to some Stephen King barometer if you're my age or if you spent some time reading Stephen King as a young person. And this has got a very good small town Stephen King teenagers solving the crisis and saving the world and fighting the devil kind of thing. So I didn't watch that one. Where would you put it on the iZombie to American Horror Story scale of grossness? I would put it on a scale that I would let you watch it. I wouldn't be worried about you. Like, sometimes you will be reading your book and just being companionable when I'm watching something, and it will stress me out because I know you're going to glance up and and (laughs) be upset. I always glance up at the exact wrong moment. You do. You do. You have a skill for that. But but also, there are things that I watch that I'm like, oh, no, she's not going to, no, no, no. And I am happy to watch things on my own, but I don't want to leave you out. This is one of the things that was part of this was we were working from home, but we weren't always at home at the same time. And I work from home very effectively with a television show playing in the background. It keeps me seated at my computer a lot better than just trying to work because if I'm working in front of a computer from home, I'm like, oh, I should go fold that laundry. Oh, I should go clean off the dining table. Oh, I should go empty the dishwasher. But if I've got something on TV, then I keep my butt in my chair and I get more work done. Okay. So I'm looking at your May and it doesn't look like you did any horror in May. I don't know what was going on in May. The last day month of May. We did a rewatch of The Lord of the Rings. We watched a mm, lot of this stuff with right. Little G. Right. So we're going to talk about that at another time. We're just focusing on horror right now. Right, right. So let's move to June, where you saw... You can tell me about the show You, which is based on a book. It is. By Lisa Kepnes? Kepler? Kep something? There's no way to know. There is no way. We could, we could look this up. So, You stars Penn Badgley, Dan from Gossip Girl, and the first season stars this blonde that I've seen in other stuff. <laughs> and Really narrowing it down. Right? And the premise is, it's a stalker story. 
and Penn Badgley works in a bookstore on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and it's definitely got that love letter to Manhattan vibe going on and the young woman comes into the bookstore and he sees her and is like hey and they talk books very briefly and then he stalks her he figures out her name from when she buys the book and he gets on her social media which is not locked down and he figures out where she lives and she's a grad student and he just figures out all her things and gets himself into a relationship with her by knowing all of her info. Because, of course, if you look at my social media and you want to, like, get in good with me, you're going to start talking to me about cats or what. I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but he does an extraordinary job. And it's so creepy and so weird. And he is, like, the perfect boyfriend, but not. And he ends up, well, there's killing and stuff. Yeah. And see, so I watched season one mostly for the New York porn. And I, you know, I don't really like stalking, but I'm also, like, so old that it is not an issue in my life. And there are things about it that I can not get nightmares from. I think that if I was young and beautiful, it would be super nightmarish and I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> but since season two is set in Los Angeles and it's also it's also in L.A. that you know, like I have spent a total of three or four weeks in L.A. in my whole life. And I was just like, oh, L.A. <laughs> through the whole thing. So it's real good. It's real good. There's 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 dead people and Penn Badgley being charming and then killing people and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I didn't feel like I missed out on anything missing that one. It seemed like it wasn't as gory as some of them, but it was creepier, maybe. It was that kind of, like, you could see it happening thing. Yeah, exactly. So that creepy thing where, you know, sometimes you have... I mean, sometimes you have, like, a doofy exchange with your barista, and then sometimes you, like, really connect with them, Ah, depending on the way your mind works. Right. You know? And, I mean, I used to think, I used to think this about, like, I had a coworker who I would, like, go to Starbucks with every now and then, and this coworker went to Starbucks every single day, the one near our work. And so I would go in with this coworker, and they would be all like, hey, how you doing? I'm going to have the same thing I always have today. And they thought they were having this charming little interaction with the baristas. And I was standing there going, oh, dear God, they're just thinking, oh, great, it's you again. Right. Mm. So it was. Well, those of us in the service profession. Yeah. Are familiar with this. Yeah. So I want to have a as brief a conversation as we can about American Horror Story, which you started in June and which is an anthology show, meaning that each season has a different setting. Many of the same actors play different characters between seasons, but, like, the first one was a haunted house and the second one was an asylum and there was one about witches and there was one about vampires and so on. What... Do you think the best American Horror Story season is for someone that doesn't mind gore to start watching? So American Horror Story has been a successful franchise thanks to the Ryan Murphy Midas touch. And 
There are ten seasons, I believe. The tenth one's not out yet. Oh, okay. So think. we watched the ninth season in real time. We DVR'd it like a year and a half ago, and it was American Horror Story 1984. And it was set at a remote camp, and all of the counselors were part of it. So each season of American Horror Story explores some kind of horror trope. And if you are a horror fan like me, and you watch parts of it, you can see this is the haunted house one. Okay, here's what here's oh this is where they're bringing in that bit, and this is where they're bringing in that bit. And the fact that the first one we watched was 1984 and had pulled out all these tropes of the the Jason movies and the Freddy movies and the Michael Myers movies was super satisfying to me. I was just like, this is brilliant. And it was season nine. So I was like, I'm going to go back and watch those. And I have watched almost, eight, almost, all, almost of all of them. I'm on my, am I on my last one? Yeah. I'm on my last one now, and I would probably want to, like, have a conversation with someone before I told them which order to watch them in or which ones to develop. There are two that have some continuity between them, but not much. It's mostly an entirely new, like, cast and issue with all the people, and it's so good. There so many really creative and interesting things are done. What did they call the Freak Show one? Freak Show. Did they call it Freak Show? I think so. So if you saw Todd Browning's Freaks, like from the 30s, this old black and white film about circus freaks, it is that translated into a series of 10 or 12 episodes or whatever. Right. My main criticism is that I feel like... <laughs> Each season goes on about two episodes too long. Like, and watching sort of intermittently the way I do, I'm like, oh, it's getting toward the end, so pretty much everyone's going to die soon. I wonder who will survive. And that's what I like about it. <laughs> so I, you're not wrong. I'm not going to argue that two episodes too long or, you know, we got to drag this out to 12 episodes right. or 13 episodes because it's a half season thing and so that's how we do it. So my favorite was the Coven season, both because it was almost all women at the center and because of Angela Bassett was in it. It still had, what's her name, the main fancy actress lady, Jessica Lange. Right. Jessica Lange's part in that was great. Jessica Lange was in the first two or three seasons. Four, four. Maybe four. Four seasons. She was in Freak Show, too. Right. But she's not in them now. And they're... And, but, like, Kathy Bates has been in a lot of them. The one that I just finished watching had Chaz Bono in it. Yeah, but otherwise was not very... Oh, my gosh. I would put Cult at the bottom of your list, no matter what. But I also think that part of it, and that might be part of its brilliance, is that depending on where you are or who you are or what you're doing, a season might really get you in the guts differently. So Cult was based around and immediately following the 2016 election. And it was really hard to watch as we are screaming towards the 2020 election right now. So July is when we hit our stride as far as watching things together. And we're going to come back to the Into the Dark series. But I want to touch on horns. Can you give me a brief 
That's another Joe Hill. It's another Joe Hill. It's like a single season series that there's not any more of. I found some really nice, like, 10, 12 episode series that were all one unit and you didn't have to worry about it happening anymore. Thanks to Pam for some recommending. Oh my goodness, thank you so much to Pam. She has suggested lots of great things to me. Shout out to Pam and Becky, one of our other horror friends, who I feel like provide me with a lot of like supporting information. I don't read a lot of horror, but it is all relevant. So that was really good. So in Horns, go ahead. Harry Potter, uh, (laughs) sorry, Daniel Radcliffe. Is that his name? (laughs) That is his real name. (laughs) Daniel Radcliffe is cursed by somebody who can do curses and grows horns out of his head and is like devilish. And people, there are people who can see the horns and there are people who can't see the horns. And it's just real good. It's weird. And you also watch Bird Box, which I watched some of with you. That's the one with Sandra Bullock where you have to keep your eyes covered the whole time. Right. And you have the birds in a box because the birds go wild when the Whatever entity it is. is near. So, I mean, it seemed to me a lot like the one where you couldn't say anything. A Quiet Place. Which has a sequel coming out. Right. Is it a noisy place? A really quiet place. A super quiet place. <laughs> Do you think Bird Box was, I mean, it was like a surprise hit on Netflix. Do you think it was worth the hype? It was also based on a book by Josh Mallerman, who is part of the new generation of horror writers. I liked it. We know that my controversial opinion is... I've read the movie, so I don't need to read the book. I've yeah, yeah. seen the movie, so I don't need to read the book. And Well, the sequel just came out, which I imagine they'll also make into a movie. Probably. And I'm into it. Like, I liked it. I like a visual representation of things that I've read or wouldn't have to read. <laughs> so there are two here that we watched, that I ended up watching with you and really, really liking, which was a surprise to me, the first being The Haunting of Hill House, based on the Shirley Jackson book. The 7,000th adaptation of right, The Haunting of Hill House. but I haven't seen any other adaptations of The Haunting of Hill House, so I am sort of the ideal person. <laughs> but this one is, it's a newish one, and it's on Netflix, yep. and it is extremely 21st century, and it's really good. And The Haunting of Bly Manor is, comes, comes out, out in two days. Well, it will already be out by the time we get this done. <laughs> but it's on its way if you haven't. Yeah, you should watch it too, probably. Right. I believe they're unconnected as far as stories go, but we were surprised in the course of The Haunting of Hill House to discover that Hill House is somewhere in western Massachusetts. <laughs> yes, apparently we are within a bike ride of Hill House, right? but we haven't seen it yet. Well, we're still looking. We are. But I would say that is a really good one as far as atmospheric creepiness and sibling relationships, but we're, if suicide is one of your content warnings, don't necessarily want to watch it, right? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm yeah, just saying. Yeah. If you've listened to our Hard Stop episodes, you know that I don't like suicide and Anna doesn't like cancer, and that oversimplifies completely, but that's some things. And I gotta tell you, people are hanging themselves in horror right and left, front, back, and center. I do not know what this is. They're also vomiting unnecessarily. 
No, you have to vomit every time you see a dead body. They've been doing that in crime shows forever. Yeah. I am at the forefront of not needing to see or hear that on film ever again. Thank you very much. Understood. So Castle Rock has two seasons recommended by Pam. And you watched the first season. I watched, like, the last 20 minutes of the first season and had no idea what was happening. But I watched almost all of the second season. And I really enjoyed the, like look into the creepy backstory of the misery lady yeah and castle rock was uh, anthology style so her watching season two she didn't miss anything by not having seen season one there was just like it was just like oh well this is a small town in new england and oh hey look there's the devil again he was in the last up season so the best part about it i would put it closer to the eye zombie end than the american horror story end as far as like gruesome death it's more like small new england is very stephen king small new england town tim robbins was dying of cancer but it wasn't enough to make me stop watching And a couple of things have happened. There have been some themes that I didn't really know were things. So in season two of Castle Rock, there are the demon reincarnated pilgrims. And in a season of American Horror Story Roanoke, there are the evil demon reincarnated pilgrims. Or maybe they're the ghosts of the pilgrims. But I gotta tell you... Just stay away from pilgrims, y'all. Yeah. I mean, I am living in Massachusetts through no fault of my own. (laughs) And it scares the tar out of me that we have all of these ancient people just milling around the streets, being mad about religious persecution because Henry VIII needed a divorce. Have you seen the pilgrim hat on the highway signs? Yes. So this is a great segue, Aline. Thank you. Oh, crackers. (laughs) Uh, One of our favorite producers of horror movies is Blumhouse Studios, run by Jason Blum. They have done the Groundhog Day horror one. I can't remember any names anymore. Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day. They did Get Out. Get Out. A bunch of of things. And they have a contract with Hulu to provide Hulu with a holiday-themed horror movie every month. And they have been doing this for the last two years. One of them is called Pilgrim. (laughs) Oh, right! So this is a good segue. I've got to, like, just sort of preface this with finding out that Hulu had 20 horror movies that I knew I was going to like whether they were good or bad More was importantly, a boon. That I knew I was going to like. Yep, yep. She watched almost all of them with me. No, no you did watch all of them. Every single one with you, and yep. I enjoyed them. Right. And which is unheard of. <laughs> it's true. And I mean, we have routinely gone to see Blumhouse movies in the theater. We saw the new Fantasy Island. We saw Ready or Not. We saw. Any number of them. Yeah. We saw Happy We saw Happy Death Day to you yeah. in the theater. We had not seen the first one in the theater. So, there are too many for us to discuss individually. I will say that Pilgrim is about a mixed-race girl who goes home for Thanksgiving, and her parents have hired Pilgrim reenactors to help <laughs> bring the spirit of Thanksgiving, and um, it all goes... 
horribly wrong in a satisfying way, but although there is vomiting. (laughs) (laughs) There's always vomiting. God darn it. I am, so I loved these, and I started reading my way through a vulture list that um, the article is, which Into the Dark episodes are worth your time? And I'll link it in the show notes, of course. And I started reading through it, and I was like, but I really liked that one to all of them. Yeah. Um, because it does, I read I read through the first 10 or so, just because it is in reverse order of the best ones. And I was like, I liked all of these. Now, I think that their number one is indeed a, a really good yeah, one. Yeah, culture show. And, it, and it's super, super good, but it's also, like, not my style. And so... So it's like deeply troubling and um, very uh, to the point of the world we live in. And I'm occasionally not looking for that. But I am looking for things that are more scary than reality. So one of my favorite ones was called A Nasty Piece of Work. And it involves two men who are up for the same promotion at their corporate job who are invited for Christmas Eve or something to the big honcho's house and forced to compete against each other in a brutal way. (laughs) Um, Ted from Schitt's Creek is one of the two, and I particularly appreciated the way it ended up. Let me see if I can find another favorite one. Puka was probably my least favorite one. Because it was scary as heck. Yeah. So I would say that Puka is one of the best ones in terms of a classic horror movie that will give you possible nightmares or you'll be thinking of, you'll like have images from it as you're trying to go to sleep. And Puka is a a corporate entity that (laughs) is the hottest gift of a Christmas. And so it's got like whiffs of Cabbage Patch Kids, if you remember back that far, which many of you don't. But it used to be that there would be like the gift of Christmas. And there were a few different years where you couldn't get your hands on the thing that everybody wanted for Christmas. So they're playing off of that. Nope. Puka. I'll link to the theme song nope. in the show notes. So it's about the actor who gets work wearing the puka costume and things start spiraling out of control <laughs> pretty soon. I will say that Midnight Kiss, which features a, te- uh, a group of gay friends, it was so nice to see just a bunch of gay guys as the central group in a slasher, a slasher movie. movie. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to see them all get killed, obviously, but I appreciate... You've come to the wrong place. I appreciate <laughs> just the the representation. We can keep going, but Blumhouse is, is better than many in terms of having people of color and having uh, an understanding that not everyone is a straight and white. I also really like School Spirit. I can't help it. It's like The Breakfast Club, but horror. (laughs) So a group of kids uh, in Saturday detention get picked off by some kind of, well, you find out what it is. But if you like The Breakfast Club plus horror, School Spirit was really good. I am trying to remember. 
Oh, you found another one that you liked? Yes. My, probably my favorite was Good Boy. And in Good Boy, Judy Greer is a stressed out contemporary woman who is in danger of losing her job because she works in print media. And so they're making cuts to her newspaper. And someone, I don't remember if it's her therapist or a friend, or I think it might be her boss, is like, you should get a therapy dog. And she goes to a shelter and finds this dog and is like, what happened to his owner? And he's like, oh, his owner had to go to jail. <laughs> so she adopts Reuben, and Reuben is an approximation of a Jack Russell kind of vibe. I think he's a mutt, but he's like a little guy. And he is very protective of her. He is her best friend. And he begins to pick off anyone who causes her stress. And so this can be a guy she brings home from a date. It can be somebody she's working with. And it's got a humor horror thing going on. There's some funny, funny bits. And there's some seriously scary bits. And Judy Greer is brilliant, as always. And she's a central character instead of the best friend. Yeah, that was good. I have a few more to... So I think the the one I liked the least, that was the least gripping in any way, was the most recent one, The Current Occupant, about the there's a guy in a mental institution who thinks he's the president of the United States and that everyone is hiding it from him. He was just kind of like... Uh, troubles of white guys. I did like the creepiness of the All That We Destroy, which is a geneticist mom whose son is a budding serial killer and has killed a girl, so she keeps cloning the girl and having her interact with the son until he kills her in an attempt to retrain him figure out why he is the way he is i don't know i thought she was just trying to keep him from going out and killing other girls well i think yeah maybe anyway that one was real creepy it had a it had an interesting psycho meets you know any cloning thing going on there are um and, you know, we said we weren't going to talk about all of them, and we have it's come... really hard I not to. I feel like we've come close to talking about all of them. I will tell you that if Puka scares you and you want to be scared, there is a second one <laughs> called Puka Lives in the same series. I would suggest, if you are a Hulu subscriber, go to Into the Dark, because it's listed as though it were a series, and you can look... At the description of each one, they're all they have perfect 90-minute yeah. movies yeah. with trailers. And if you think one looks good, Go you will it. probably enjoy it. We said we pretty uniformly enjoy Blumhouse movies. We are pretty uniformly appreciative of their rank on the inclusivity scale. Nobody's doing enough to satisfy us, but they have more people of color in their movies than... Um, many. Yeah. Okay, so, whew, let's move to August, which was mostly, when we weren't watching Into the Darks, was mostly you watching a variety of movies that you found on Hulu and Netflix. So, if you would pick out a couple to talk about, you watched 
the boy and the boy two. Right, in, I got those from the library. In my vicinity. And you started the Paranormal Activity series. Oh, I did. But did I watch one? or just I just watched one. the first one. And I think I might watch the rest of the Paranormal Activity ones. So The Boy and Brahms, The Boy 2. You might have seen previews for it at some point. The Boy is a doll who this older couple hires a young woman to come and be the nanny for their son who's very special and turns out to be this doll. And she's like, are you kidding me? And so she like parks the doll in a chair and then of course stuff starts to go down. They're both real creepy. There are things about the sequel that are like, well, duh, after you see the first one, because the first one is resolved, but it's pretty good. August is also when we started watching iZombie together. But looking at these, we were watching, we were finishing up the Blumhouse ones, but then I watched like The Lodge and The Wretched and Piewacket and Wounds, and I just was poking around Hulu and Netflix looking for horror movies that... I would read the description and see if it sounded like it would just annoy me. And I liked some... Piwacket scared me. I think it was one with teenage girls. And a really great horror trope is generally people's terror of the power of young women. And I love it. And so Piwacket has like a teenage girl getting powerful and scary. I have a question. Yes. What in a horror movie description would annoy you enough to not start the movie. If there is no evidence of character, because as as a reader and as a movie watcher, I'm interested in character and setting. And so if you're set in a crumbling manner in any part of the Western world, even Western Mass., I will probably watch you because I like crumbling manners. I love real estate porn. Almost as if that's not character, though. No, no, no. But setting, character and setting are my things. And I am not a big fan of middle-aged white guys having midlife crises, which can manifest in a variety of ways in the horror genre. I am totally fine with men getting killed. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) One of the movies that I watched, I can't, I think it was either The Wretched or Wounds. It was like a dad had a dead wife and angry kids and they like moved into a haunted house. Oh, I remember that one because it was um, the guy from Gilmore Girls. Yes. And so I was like, meh. Yeah, yeah, I'm not that interested in this guy and his kids, but I am interested in the haunted house. You definitely fell asleep. During that one. Right, but I watched the rest of it. You did. I mean, occasionally I would be watching something and I would fall asleep. And, you know, at any point in the last six months, falling asleep is not something that I try to deny. (laughs) For the purposes of humor and powerful teenage girls, I loved Tragedy Girls. I thought it was hilarious. It starred Brianna Hildebrand and some other young woman. And they are cheerleaders who are living in a town that is being terrorized by a serial killer. And these teenagers kidnap the serial killer and lock him up in their one of their garages and decide to carry on his work and use the events to boost their social media clout. It's 
hilarious. Good strategy. And it's a slasher movie, and it's it's funny, and it's scary. So where is and it on the gore uh, metric? It's gory, but it's funny gore. You know, like when if you sometimes sinking an axe into someone's skull is funny, and sometimes it's not. Uh, let's transition. <laughs> Do you have a September list, or is this it? This is September is down here, and then I just squoze those in because I didn't want to go to another page. So let's talk about sex, baby. First, The Outsider, which I watched all of with you, and then Hannibal. Okay. The Outsider being a Stephen King adaptation that I decided on my own was something that you would want to watch. That was some spectacular viewers' advisory. Thank you. It was an HBO series, and it is it is law enforcement-y, but it also very Stephen King-y. Give us a synopsis of The Outsider. And it was, and it was also recommended by Pam. She liked the series better than she liked the book, so I'm not the only one. Sorry to out you, Pam. A little kid gets killed, and if you don't like little kids getting killed, you don't want to watch it because the little kids are, like, cut up and half-eaten by a monster. But a little kid gets killed in the town, and the grizzled cop had his child disappear several years before so it's very triggery for him and they have evidence that it was coach terry played by jason bateman who took the kid and then the kid turned up dead but coach terry was at a conference and it starts out as a small town sort of procedural crime try to solve it and then it grows because they determine that at approximately three to four week intervals, this sort of thing has been happening and there will be someone arrested and convicted of the crime because there is DNA evidence proving that they did it, but there's also DNA evidence proving their innocence, but they just go with the with the guilt. The- and then people keep dying. I was going to say, the best part about this, I didn't actually watch the first few episodes, which is probably just as well as the small child thing. Mm-hmm. But the best part is that the person who figures this out is Cynthia Erivo. Who plays this. She is not autistic. She is not a savant. But she has skills where she can tell if someone's going to die. She knows all of the lyrics to all of the pop songs that have been written. She has so much information in her brain that she can't get away from, and she uses it to benefit law enforcement when she is called in to consult. And she figures out that it's true, that the DNA is matching, and that the people whose DNA it is are innocent because she figures out that it is a boogeyman and she talks a little bit about the boogeyman folklore of many nations. She talks about El Cuco and she talks about Baba Yaga and it's kind of fascinating and cool and also very creepy so if somebody brushes by you in a bar and scratches your arm well they might be getting your DNA and then they're going to turn into you and then they're going to go eat a little kid 
And Luckily, then a month, and you're going to get convicted. quarantine, that's not an issue. <laughs> right. Nobody's going to, like, brush by me in a bar and scratch my arm. Nope. Unless it's Anna. But it's more likely to be one of the cats. <laughs> Point. I So I've, I've reworked my rankings to be X-Files End and the American Horror Story End. And this one is way more on the X-Files End, which is why I liked it. Probably. I don't dislike American Horror Story, but I find it hard to watch. I have to, like watch from behind a book <laughs> yeah and i can i can see that that might be easier for me to determine for people to go like x files to american horror story i feel like i could put things on a scale there because there are episodes of the x files that are terrifying yep. and it was on network television in the 90s yep. now american horror story is on network television i have no idea how they manage it. I mean, I guess I that that's wrong. I know exactly how they manage it. They cut people up into little pieces, but they never, ever show you a nipple. Well, they, I mean, Lady Gaga was wearing just, like, nipple shields. Right, but you can't see her nipples. I know. Well, then, in that case... It's all thank cool. Thank goodness, we're protected. Right? So, on... I'm not sure where to put Hannibal on this scale, because... <sighs> It's so weird stylistically. It's like... If you haven't seen it's Hannibal... It's real trippy. It's like early... It's early life. It's basically based on Red Dragon by Thomas Harris, which was the book that preceded The Silence of the Lambs. Because Hannibal Lecter has been eating people for years and years and years, and he doesn't get incarcerated until pretty late in the game. And that is the premise of the television show, which stars Mads Mikkelsen and Hugh Dancy and some other people. And the art direction is extraordinary. Gillian Anderson is a a character. Gillian Anderson (laughs) appears as, as Hannibal's therapist, which is very charming. The offices where people meet and Hannibal's apartment... And or maybe it's a house and his wardrobe. his wardrobe and he's always so he's always wearing plaid three piece suits and he's always creating these extraordinary feasts that are never vegetarian and always no wonder he's evil <laughs> and he's always preparing something that is beautiful I look at this stuff and I'm like yes please and he you know he does extraordinary things with human bodies he takes pieces of people he kills and eats them or and feeds them to his friends he's always having dinner parties right and the display of the victims even when it's not him doing it is always very artistic yeah it's real arty like there's one there's one character who is killed and is presented between layers of lucite so if you ever saw damien hurst's cow that was cut up he was an english artist in the 90s or if you ever saw the bodies exhibition it's it's very much like that and i spend a lot of time trying to figure out the logistics of how he kills people and gets himself cleaned up and gets back to where he needs to be so that when someone calls him and says we've had another weird murder hannibal what do you think about it? I have no idea why people are consulting him because he is very clearly a creep. But yeah, and the main character is a white guy that I don't have very much interest in. 
like I don't really care about Will. I would weigh I would be I would be more interested in a Clary Starling centered show, but mm-hmm. that is a personal preference of mine. I just don't care if Will is having some kind of mental instability or what? <laughs> yeah, Will Will is Will is tortured and it's it's not he's not very compelling. But there are elements of the show that are very compelling and it's not it's not a crime procedural. There is like a procedural crime in each episode, but the arc of the overall story seems to be more important. It is something that I can have on in the background while I'm working because all I need to do is glance up and look at the food. I don't I or check out Mads it's Mikkelsen's just like the wardrobe. Great Bake Off. <laughs> Except a lot more meat. <laughs> uh is there anything on our radar that we're looking forward to watching? I have a couple for you, but I want to know if you that what's on your list next? What's the thing that's going live in two days? We already talked about it. Bly Manor. Yes. The Haunting of Bly Manor is definitely on my list. I am looking forward to finishing American Horror Story so that I can be done with it. We're so close. <laughs> and I'm not sure what that means. If, I, if I'm tired of it or what. I think I need to see some more 90-minute horror films. One of the nice things about October is that the streaming services have a little bump in their horror content for whatever reasons, and so I can go through and Probably find some more stuff. No, 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 <laughs> right? But they, but then it goes away again because if you started looking on Netflix under the horror category as a horror fan, you would be extremely disappointed. Something that just came out on Netflix in the last couple of weeks was Ratched, starring. Sarah Paulson, who is brilliant and in most seasons of American Horror Story. I have read that it's not good, that it is taking the Nurse Ratched trope from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and just sort of like following it in a boring way. I am absolutely here for a mean nurse visiting her wrath upon everyone around her. I've got a couple for you, which I saved to our Netflix list in case you see them. One of them is The Babysitter. When Cole stays up past his bedtime, he discovers that his hot babysitter is part of a satanic cult that will stop at nothing to keep him quiet. I feel like I saw a preview for that. The next one is The Babysitter Killer Queen. Two years after Cole survived a satanic blood cult. Spoiler! God He's living another nightmare high school and the demons from his past still making his life hell. And also, where is it? Hold on just a second. It just came out. High school, man. Vampires versus the Bronx. Three gutsy kids from a rapidly gentrifying Bronx neighborhood stumble upon a sinister plot to suck all the life from their beloved community. Having just finished the Alyssa Cole book... When no one is watching, I feel like this is a perfect segue. So we need to, to wrap this up and go watch some of these. Okay. And we will uh, we will be back at some point to talk about other stuff that we did during the pandemic. Consumed, watched, 
coping mechanisms, different uh, things that we found. I'm going to ask you, Eileen. Oh, I wanted to tell you that the the remake of Pet Cemetery was real good. Okay. I saw the first one. I read the book back in the day, and it was real good. And I have really enjoyed the Netflix single season series Harlan Coben's whatever. They are crimey and good. I am going to ask you if you have any musical obsessions. My musical obsession for more of the pandemic than anyone would probably appreciate is Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. I can, the version featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. The version featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. I love it. It's two minutes long. I can listen to it six times on my drive to work when I have it on repeat. And it makes me happy. I learned all the words. I've forgotten them again, I'm sure. But it's it's really, really fun. And I didn't know anything about it until I saw it on the Grammys. And I saw Lil Nas X in his neon cowboy outfit. And I fell in love. And then I found out he was gay. And I fell harder. <laughs> and it's just, it's just fun. If you don't know it, check out the link in the show notes. And my... Musical Obsession is a song called Somebody to Tell Me by Tyler Glenn, which is the theme from the Love, Victor show. And we will put both of these in our playlist, and we will make sure that the playlist link is in the show notes so that uh, in case you are not hooked into our playlist, you can check it out. Do you have any regular obsessions? I have a variety of regular obsessions since it's been six months right. since we talked about an obsession. Let's try and keep it to, like, a couple. Okay. So, we discovered White Claw. <laughs> that was going to be my obsession. <laughs> During the pandemic, we have generally a, a summer drink and a winter drink, and we don't drink heavily, but we drink once in a while and we discovered white claw and the flavors are like flavory and it's real good and like i like the mango and i don't like mango anything and anna doesn't like the mango and she does like mango everything so that's how it all goes yeah so that that's it so i am obsessed with the aforementioned book by Alyssa cole which we will put in the show notes and I'm also obsessed with a book that's not going to be out for a few months called The Mask of Mirrors by M.A. Carrick, which, if you like your political intrigue and your double life and you like Scarlet Pimpernel and you like all of that sounds good to you, you're going to want to read this book for sure. I wrote a re- review of it for Booklist and I gave it a star. Speaking of booklist stars, I just gave Zarina by Ellen Alpston a booklist star. The Zarina in question, the tagline of the book is surf, murderous, <laughs> empress. No, slave, slave? murderous, slave empress? Murderous empress? I don't think it says surf. Anyway, it's a slave. surfboard. Uh, the Zarina in question is Catherine I, the second wife of Peter the Great. And I'm old enough to have watched the Peter the Great miniseries that was on television in 1985. And I 
have like a vague passing interest in Imperial Russia because of the architecture and the jewelry for the most part. And having seen that Peter the Great in my formative years, I'm like, this is great because this is the story of the lady. You may know that I love fiction about real people. And this is particularly well-researched because, as the author says in her note, the Petrine era is extraordinarily well-documented. So this stuff is interesting. It's gory. Someone said it was like Game of Thrones. I don't think it's that gory. It's in, It's just, it's fascinating. And it's this woman's story in early 18th century Russia. And there's like winter and madness. Winter, but it's not winter that's coming. It's winter that's already there. Winter's already here. Do you have more obsessions? Uh, you are... I'm not going to cap it at that. You're... In the hope that some point in the near future, we will um, record some more. Okay, so I have just one more thing to add that I'm currently obsessed with slapdash manicures. <laughs> it took me uh, five months of the pandemic to knuckle down and paint my fingernails. I see what you did there. Which I needed to do because I stopped wearing rings in the hand washing. And naked hands are not my style. And I finally realized that, I mean, it only takes me an hour to do a proper manicure and then I need to sit for an hour so I can make the whole thing happen while watching a movie. But then I'm also wanting to fold laundry and empty the dishwasher and all that other stuff. So I finally figured out that I can just slap some nail polish on my nails one evening and taking a shower cleans up my cuticles. And then I have painted nails for a couple of days. And then it starts to wear off and it makes me crazy and I remove it and I can do it again. And I've done this like four times in the last few weeks. I didn't want to say anything before, but I've really been missing the adornment on your fingers. So it's a relief to me as well. Right. I know. I the, My poor sad pile of rings in the bathroom <laughs> has just been sitting there unworn. And of course... My pandemic weight has probably changed their fit as well. Oh, well. So, who knows? Well, thanks for listening. It's been really nice to be back with you. You can find us on Twitter, mostly, at BellWeatherFriends, B-E-L-L-W-E-T-H-E-R-F-R-N-D-S, where we have been retweeting this whole time. You can find us on Facebook. Mm, We're on Tumblr, but really you should look for us on Twitter. If you want, you can look us up on iTunes and leave us a review. I'm Anna, and you can find me online at Helga Grace, H-E-L-G-A-G-R-A-C-E. I'm Aline, and you can find me on Twitter at Surly Spice, S-U-R-L-Y-S-P-I-C-E. And our In-N-Out music was provided by Julie Jurgens. You can find her on Twitter at Hi Miss Julie, H-I-M-I-S-S-J-U-L-I-E. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.